So we've been going through a series of messages related to our new church name, Maranatha, and Pastor Jeff laid out, you know, kind of the meaning and what it was all about, and then um, we've been working through some other subjects, and my task today is to talk about, specifically, if you think, okay, I understand the name, I understand what it means, and I understand it in a like a very epic scale that, like, yes... I understand Jesus has come, and I'm thankful for that. That's great. And I do also understand that at the end of time, Jesus is returning. I'm also thankful for that. And, but you might be having a hard time connecting that to your daily life. You're like, I still got a you know, dishwasher that doesn't work or that kind of thing. You know, There's some sort of you know, the gap in between where we're living. You might not even think, I, I like it, but I'm, you know, the application is the issue. That's what I'm going to be talking about today, um, that we would, if you're in that place, I hope you leave today not in that place <laughs> anymore. Um, this message has run through my head this week in several different forms, the last of which is on this piece of paper right here, but it's one of those things where as I was writing it out, God was speaking it to me, and so I went in all these different directions, some of which I don't think are necessary for everyone today. So I hope I don't go down any rabbit trails, but forgive me if I do. I made some slides to help me stay on task. Um, but Maranatha means, uh, in case you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, it's, it's an actually, it's a... Um, Aramaic, which is language Jesus actually spoke. Like when Jesus was talking, he was speaking in Aramaic. And it's actually an Aramaic phrase that's been kind of turned into a single word. And Hebrew and Aramaic, which is like a version of Hebrew, they didn't put gaps in between the words. It's kind of like Morse code, you know, it's like letter, letter, letter. So people can debate sometimes where the breaks in the words should be. And it either means, I think if you, I can't remember which one is which, but it's either Marana space, Tha, or Moran space atha. One of them means the Lord has come, and one of them means the Lord is coming. So in our context, it's perfect. You know, we just mean both. <laughs> and we adopted this as the name of our church after the Lord brought it to us via prayer. And today we're going to be talking about, like I said, how does that matter to my daily life? And so I'm going to invite you to kind of go into an interactive time where we're going to step into a biblical story that we're all very familiar with, or at least somewhat, and then you're going to have to apply it to your own life. And I believe Jesus will help you. The Holy Spirit will speak to your heart, and you'll, you know, you'll hear what he's saying. It's not going to be that difficult. But we're going to kind of use a story as a guide, a biblical story as a guide, uh, about Jesus coming. Because when you find Jesus coming the first time, you know, John the Baptist is laying foundation of Jesus coming. You're like, hey, this guy is coming. He's the Messiah, and it means these things, and all this sort of thing. And then later, Jesus shows up, and he's doing these things. And John the Baptist sends his disciples to say, so are you the guy, or should we be looking for someone else? And then Jesus quotes the Old Testament, saying, well, tell him the kind of things you're seeing. You know, and he's like, that blind eyes are being opened, people are being healed, you know, the good news is being preached to the poor. He has a list, but he's like quoting Isaiah, I think, and uh, Kevin will correct me if that's wrong. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, he's making a point. Yes, I'm the guy, you know. But he lists off this, this list of things that happens when Jesus comes, you know. So we say, like, okay, how does this apply to my 
how does this apply to my everyday life, this Maranatha thing? The, the way it applies is we want to see Jesus come in every aspect of our lives all the time. What should you expect when that happens? Well, there'll be healing. You, you just look at the, you look at what Jesus' interaction with his disciples. You'll be healed. You'll be challenged, you know. Good news will be preached to the poor. I mean, all these things will happen. But I want to, what we need to see today, the reason this is going to matter in our church moving forward is not totally focusing on the obvious part of Jesus is going to give us these things or do these things for us, okay? The first point, and Jeff will be proud. I was, he was supposed to be in here, but I think he's helping in the children's ministry. Um, so he's filling in for someone. But... Uh, the, uh, the first, I, all, all my points are our words, which is kind of a cheesy preacher thing to do, and Jeff would have been proud of me for that. So they're really easy to remember because they're all our words. But the first point is this, that I want us to focus on receiving and releasing these things. So every time we think, and you, as, as you're working through this story in your head or as God is taking us through it, and you encounter something about Jesus coming, you need to think about it, how that would come to you, but then this might be a new territory for you guys. You need to be thinking about how you bring that to other people. Okay? That we are called to receive these things and release them to everyone around us. And, you, and I'm going to be talking about calling, which is something we usually tend to only talk about people like me or Jeff, like priests or pastors or that kind of thing. Oh, they have a calling. But the Bible, I believe, says any of us that are followers of Jesus have a calling, and we're a part of the priesthood. And that means every single one of us here um, who claims to follow Jesus. Jesus himself, he refers to himself in the Gospels like, I am the light of the world. And he's talking about, you know, in this dark and dying world, I am the light, the only light, you know. But then, like, later, he talks to his disciples, he's like, you guys are the light of the world. And if you were like, if I was there, I'd be like, well, wait a second. You just said you were the light of the world. Like, which is it? And the point I think he's making is that Jesus living within us, which Paul calls a mystery in Colossians 1, like this great mystery of Christ within us, the hope of glory, that Christ now lives within us. And him within us, we are the light of the world. And you, there is no... To be a follower of Jesus, there is no observing crowd. There is no group of people doing stuff and a passive group of people watching. That doesn't exist. And to the level that we've ever created an environment here at this church that would ever encourage that, we have to repent. And I do repent. This is not right. You know, Everything we do going forward and everything we intend to do is going to not emphasize that and instead emphasize the, the other that we are all called. We are all the light of the world. And I don't know what that will look like in every sort of way, but um, you need to really ponder. You might need to write this down to think that you are called to be the light of the world everywhere you go and never not. You don't, I mean, it's not like to say every day you're going to have is great. There's plenty of hard times. We will get into that. But the point is that doesn't ever turn off. That is a calling and a commission and a requirement of every single one of us who claim to follow Jesus. And he does it through us. It's not like we do it under our own power. 
But if you read the commissions, like at the end of Matthew, Matthew, yes, thumbs up from Kevin. <laughs> the end of Matthew, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he's giving that to all of us. You can read it. Just flip to the end of Matthew and look for the red letters, and you'll find what I'm talking about. That's the stuff he's telling you to do. And so you might go, well, hold on a second. I can't cast out demons or whatever that is, which is pretty high on the list, If you so think about that as well. Um, and I'm here to tell you, yes, you can. But let's not get caught up in that, because you might be like, well, I don't know about all this healing and demon stuff. That sounds really supernatural. I'm not comfortable with that. Okay, fine. I, I believe that you can, and I've, we've seen, we've, we could talk about that another time. But the point is, don't get caught up in the supernatural or natural thing, okay? Because miracles, when God is active, don't have to all be supernatural. I think a lot of them tend to be, you know. But I've had recently in my life several miraculous gifts that were from God directly, but through other people, and they bought them with real money. You know, it wasn't like, you get what I'm saying? They cost actual money that they actually earned, and then they, you know, and it was the blessing from God, but it's not like it just materialized out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? So that's the kind of, that's, just add that to the list. If you're overwhelmed by the spiritual, supernatural side of things, just add the natural stuff to the list because it's equal, in my opinion. If you don't agree with me, don't email me or anything, but <laughs> email Jeff. <laughs> um, so what is Jesus calling you to do? I don't know, okay? But hopefully by working through this story, you'll be able to find it, and I hope that God will stir it in your heart. So go back to the first slide, the, the blank one. This is the Sea of Galilee, uh, where Jeff and I were just in Israel at that conference with Dalton and those people who, were just, who just spoke. And the conference was actually on the Sea of Galilee. And I, this, the first day we were there, the first day of the I guess it's kind of the second day. So it started at night, but the next morning, okay, I woke up and just looked out at the Sea of Galilee, and this is what I saw. See, there's like a rainbow there. I was like, wow, this is kind of like cheesy almost, that it's like, here's the, you know, oh, you know. But I took a photo of it, and I thought, I might as well use it since what I'm going to be talking about today is the calling of Peter, uh, which happened on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, just north. This is looking east, so it's just kind of to the right. Somewhere right up there is right where all this happened. Like literally, you know, you, if, I, if I turned the camera, you would have seen it, but there wasn't a rainbow in that part, so we're going to use the rainbow shot. I walked up to the, where everybody was eating, and there was about 8,000 people in some tour group, and they were all like weeping and taking photos like I did. Uh, I didn't cry, but I was like, wow, this is cool. But it was like me by myself down by the water. I was like, God and I are having a moment. And I turned around like, oh, never mind, you know. <laughs> I was having a moment with everyone, but... I'm sharing my moment with all of you. So I'm gonna, we're going to focus on this. It's in Mark 1, 16 to 17. This is talking about when he says he, the he is Jesus. As Jesus, as he was walking, oh, sorry, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter, okay? He changed his name later. Um, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So this is a picture of Jesus coming into Peter's everyday life. And there's an interaction here, and we see how Peter responded. 
And that's what I want us to focus on. Because when we start praying Maranatha, we're praying in a grand sense for the Lord to come, but we're praying often for the Lord to come right here, right now. Okay? And when he does, these are the kinds of things that are going to happen. And as I prayed through this story, because there's another account of this in Luke that's like a lot more detailed, and we'll talk about that because I think it makes this kind of paraphrase story make a little bit more sense. Um, but uh, this was the one I felt drawn to because it's just so immediate. And uh, one of the translations I was reading it in um, said immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. And if there's a title for this message, which now that we're posting them on SoundCloud and everything, they need titles. So we're going to call this one, Drop Your Nets, okay? And so you were going to say, what is my net? So we're going to work through some stuff that I think will help you find it. A net for us, for, the, for today, is going to represent anything that is stopping you or hindering you from following Jesus can be bad. It can also not be bad. Just so you're not tempted to go down this route, it's not your kids or your wife or something, okay? So if that's the first thing that came to mind, try a little harder. <laughs> but, um, but we all have these nets, and uh, when Jesus comes up to it, so you just have to imagine, what if Jesus tomorrow, you're in your daily routine, whatever it is, you might go to work, you might stay home with your kids, you might do homeschool, you might, uh, um, you could do a whole lot, whatever. Whatever you do on a daily basis, all of a sudden Jesus shows up out of nowhere like this. What would that do to your day? to your opinion of how you spend your time? I mean, what would that change in your life? At school? At work? Um, what would he say to you, and then how would you respond? Because he's saying in some form, follow me, and I will make you, you know. He might not call us all fishers of men, because we're not all fishermen. You get what I'm saying? But he's going to call you and make you into something. So what is a net? We're going to look at uh, a couple different examples. Uh, in the Luke story, which is, like I said, a fuller picture, you see that Jesus is coming and all these people are starting to gather around him. Like they're starting to catch on. There's something about this guy. He needs to teach them. There's too many. And so he says to Peter, hey, man, you have a boat. And there's like kind of a semicircle of beach or something. All these people are He's like, why don't you kind of take me in your boat out to the middle of that. It'll be like a stage and all the people will be around and I could speak from that to all these people. So they do. And Peter's got like a front row seat to that. He listens and he's kind of like, whoa, this guy's for real. And then Jesus says something odd to him. Hey, why don't you go out to the deep water and put down your nets and we'll catch some fish. Peter, only, I haven't studied this at super length, but even just the course we study, you realize that like everything Jesus just told him to do is wrong from like a fisherman's point of view. And he's not a fisherman. So... Peter's kind of like, uh, and he says, I think you can see it in his response. He's like, I'll do it because you said so, but this is kind of dumb, you know. And then he does it, and the net gets so full of fish, they have to get, like, other people to help. And 
he gets kind of freaked out at that point. And he says to Jesus, yo, uh, you need to leave for me because I'm not a good guy. Then Jesus says, all right, come on, let's do this, you know, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men thing. So the first uh, net, which we have to just address right off the bat, is anything sinful in our lives. And I'm going to work through Hebrews 12, which I did not put in. I'm going to read this. You're just going to have to listen. Um, But the R word that goes with this is repent. So put this up, repent. This is the first way to drop our nets in the presence of the holy king. And we're going to look at Hebrews 12, which is Hebrews 11 is listed off this biblical account of all these people who have been faithful before God. And then it says this, There's, For since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You cannot follow Jesus and live in sin. This is just completely insane. And I think our culture is starting to not believe that anymore. And I, I, uh, when thinking about this, it seemed so obvious to me, I didn't really know what to say about it. (laughs) And so I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. Because I think when I say this word, sin, you know what I'm talking about. And you've got to stop it. Because here's the situation we're, we're looking at in, a, in, in an epic sense, again, about Jesus coming. Jesus coming and providing atonement or freedom from sin in our lives. Jesus coming at the end to make all things right. We have this choice right now. You can fall on the grace that Jesus offers and let his grace cover your life so that when he comes to make all things right, you receive the grace or you can try to stand on your own two feet like, I got this, we're good. And then when Jesus comes to end all evil, you might find yourself, implying you will find yourself, accounted in the evil. You follow what I'm saying? And you will experience the wrath of God as he's wiping evil from creation. But he's offering us freedom from that through his sacrifice and his blood. And, you, and we can't claim to, to take that and live in sin. I'm not saying you won't make mistakes. So don't like. But I'm talking about like you can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and steal. You can't claim to be a follower of Jesus. And, and Jesus' standards aren't lightweight. He goes to like, you know, oftentimes when he's saying, you might have heard it said. He starts quoting things like Leviticus. So it's like the reason you heard it said is because it's in the Bible. It's not like just a saying, you know what I mean? Oftentimes it's that. You might have heard it said, and then he lists off of an Old Testament law. He's like, but I say, you know, he, you might have heard it said, do not murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You might have heard that. But I say, don't even hate your brother. You're like, wait, wait a second. You just made it harder, you know? He's making the point. The law of the Old Testament kind of draws an outline of like, this is the, the extreme perimeter of God's kind of ethics or something like that. And then Jesus shows up and he points at the center of it. He's like, the perimeter is not the goal. This is just the boundary. Like you can't, you know, and, but Jesus is like, this is really what's going on and what, we, what, what I want. And so 
I'm going to just pray after each one of these R words because I think they're important. So, Father, I pray that if there is sin in our lives, you would draw attention to it. And, God, that you would give us the strength to repent and to turn to you, Lord, and follow you. Not to wallow in our sin or say, woe is us or anything like that. But you're calling us, Father. Let us drop it and move forward in Jesus' name. Amen. So... This is kind of the core bit of it. Um, When Jesus comes up to most of us encountering us in our daily lives, apart from sin, okay? So we've we've dealt with that. Um, He he finds a, a fisherman among other fishermen, and knows this is the guy. He later calls him the rock upon which I will build my church. Everything that Jesus does in his life, he's basically handing off to this guy, a collection of other people, but predominantly this man for the rest of humanity, for the rest of time, including us. You see what I'm saying? So the faithfulness of this man directly impacts us, our salvation, as I was just saying, in our existence in the kingdom of God, and all that kind of thing. So, uh, if you step back to the day before this, when Peter's just a fisherman, hey man, what do you do? I'm a fisherman. Cool. Me too. You know, that kind of thing. Now this day, he's the rock upon which Jesus is building his church. He didn't, that didn't really happen in this moment. I think God created in this way from the beginning, because Jesus knows, you know, but he finds this guy. But you have to think about it from Peter's perspective, because that's going to be our perspective when Jesus is coming to us. And I'm actually going to continue in this Hebrews 12, too, because what Peter has to do in a moment, and I like how this Mark account of this happens, he says immediately, because I think there's a flash of uh, thought that has to go through this man's mind, and we see he had a little bit more time in the Luke account, but the second, it's actually really two R words that are going to be the core of what we're going to be talking about today, is that when Jesus comes, he causes you to reflect and refocus. It's reflect on your life as it stands today and refocus it onto him. Hebrews 12.2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, not our faith. That's actually a mistranslation, which they've corrected in this. He's the perfecter of faith. (laughs) For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, wait, right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12, 2. So Jesus coming up to you, you're a fisherman, or a whatever, man or woman, and you're living into, like, this is a good thing to do. You're providing for your family, you're living a life that's fruitful and contributes to society, there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, it's probably what we would call good. Okay? He's not... I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of that. And so it's, it's interesting when Jesus comes up and it's like, hey, let's stop doing that. Let's do something new. But like the Old Testament law, I think we see this picture with Peter, that like the Old Testament law draws an outline of the perimeter 
of what God's intention is or something, you know, like that. I think that's kind of like Peter being a fisherman. Like he's not off. He's on the right track. But Jesus comes up to him and he's like, you know what you've been preparing for is this being a fisher of men, you know? He doesn't rebuke him and say like, man, come on, man. Being a fisherman is so lame and don't be wasting your time doing that, you know? Why are you being a school teacher? That's such a lame job. He's not saying anything like that. What he's saying is like, you're on the right track, but I'm going to take you to the center. (laughs) So what happens in that moment, I think, when I say reflect and refocus, is Peter has to go, okay. Because I I bet something in his heart was like, yes, this is what I've been trying to figure out for the last while. You know, he's like, I'm not wrong. I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong, but there's got to be something more to this. And Jesus speaks to him immediately. He knows this is exactly what I've been trying to, I've been thinking for. This is not, I'm adding a little here because it's what I think is going on. But, uh, um, but it requires a refocus. And this refocus is probably the difficult portion. It might be easy for you if you go, <laughs> well, I don't really like my life at all. <laughs> so it's easy for me to refocus on Jesus. Good, good for you. Everybody, everybody else may not be in the same boat. Uh, but the... Uh, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of her faith. What you do, or perfecter of faith, you, you surrender control. Which, I can't speak for everyone present, but I suppose that's difficult <laughs> for all of us. And you can see in Peter's story, because Peter does the right thing here, and he's right on, all right? But then you keep reading, and Peter kind of goes back and forth. Um, you know, there's times when, you know, who do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking Peter, like, you're the Messiah. He's like, you, the Holy Spirit has revealed this to you. You know, you're like, all this great, amazing stuff. And Jesus is like, that's why I have to go and die on the cross. And he's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> cut all that out. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> like, oh, man, you know, this guy's up and down, you know. He misses it a lot. But then at the end, he runs away during the crucifixion. Like, Peter hides and lies. I don't even know who this guy is, you know. And at the end of all of it, when Jesus is resurrected, he comes back and finds Peter, and he's like, no, you're still the guy. So this isn't about getting it all right. Like, you surrender control to Jesus. It's in your fallen nature, if you want to use kind of a biblical concept. Uh, Adam and Eve, and when you look at that story, they eat of this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil out of a desire, I would say, probably to paraphrase it, is to, because he says, you, you'll be like gods yourselves, you know. Like, oh, you know, God made us to do a thing. And he said it was good. And we go, you know what? I want to do God's thing. And I have a way that I, get, I could do that. We call this the fall of man. <laughs> that we inherit. We all inherit this original sin because of the fall of man. And I think Peter's showing us how even after you agree to follow Jesus, man, this stuff, it, it comes back. It fights with you, and you got to fight with it all the time. It's refocusing on Jesus. And I said refocusing instead of just focusing, one, to get an R word in there, but also because I think you're probably going to have to do it more than once, like maybe every day or every 15 minutes. Or whatever it takes, okay? 
God still he gives us freedom, you know. He'll let you have it back, but it just leads to death. So it's repent reflect on what you're doing. Even the stuff that's not bad. And then refocus on Jesus. And then the third part, uh, which I'll re- go through really quickly, is that we have to react. And uh, this is difficult because... Uh, put up the word react. And uh, so this is difficult because um, it might be as severe for some of us as what it is for Peter. Like he's saying... To follow me, you need to stop. You need to get rid of this business or change everything in your life. Some of us need to, to, to move to whatever, Africa or something like that. Some of us need to do that. And you can't go, I'm not going to do that one. You know, it doesn't really work that way. Um, but in, in, in a sense, that has a form of difficulty to it. Uh, it's obvious, okay? Obviously, it's difficult to sell everything or get you know, whatever, sell your house, move to a foreign country where you don't know the culture and you don't know the support and whatever. You know, that's very difficult. To be a missionary is very difficult. And there's networks, we're a part of them, you know, that try to support this because it's so obviously difficult, Okay? I'm not saying that's easy. All right? It's very difficult. But in a different way, it's difficult to do all of this where sometimes the window dressing of your life, meaning your job or your house, doesn't change. In a way, that's more difficult to keep your mind straight. Because probably the majority of us aren't going to move to Africa, and it's not because we're being disobedient. We're being disobedient if we don't follow what it is uh, that Jesus is putting before us. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want to, you know, that's just not a good idea. you got to hear it from the king himself, and he'll tell you, but you got to have the courage to do it. And if it doesn't involve you doing something dramatic that other people will see, often... <laughs> It's hard because you don't want to make blanket statements about things. But in my years of observation in ministry, it goes without saying that Jesus knows way better than me the kinds of things to call people to or the potential that's found within them. See what I'm saying? But I think oftentimes if you elevate somebody or elevate something, a type of ministry or something like that, just pray about this. I could be wrong. I find that if if you have in your life elevated somebody or elevated something, a type of ministry, a type of calling, or a type of person before God or something like that. And I would say elevate them in a, in a way that's probably incorrect. 
So you don't know that because this is a this is a faithful servant of God. They're not doing anything wrong, but you put them in a weird place. And what I mean in a weird place is you're like, I want to be like them, and I don't mean then in like an emulator, but you, you know what I'm talking about. If you're trying to follow God, you look at other people and you go, okay, I could do that. And I'm not going to say how often. I don't know. It's not surprising to me that God doesn't have you do that a lot. You see what I'm saying? If you think missionaries are the greatest people on earth, you might not be one, okay? Because it's kind of becomes for us a like a weird uh, defense mechanism, which is so complex and individual per person that uh, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But like when Jesus shows up to Peter, I don't think he had thought of this idea before. You see what I'm saying? And that doesn't mean everything Jesus is going to say to you is going to be absolutely brand new to you. Because I don't think this is what happens to Peter. I think he's like, this is, this is it. You know, yes. And it's like a furthering of who he is as a human being. You know, but oftentimes, if you're like me, you're kind of, I'm going to do that. And he's like, okay, I, I, I want you to do this. You're like, okay, I'm going to do that, you know. And uh, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. But the uh, when you're thinking about surrendering and reacting, this goes as deep as it can go into you. And it will feel like that. So, in closing, I just want to say this that we want to see. As a church, Jesus come into every situation in our lives, supernaturally, naturally, and that God wants to use you in this ministry calling of our church. Because at the heart of this story with Peter, something I never thought of before, that the great significance I just said to you about like what Peter ended up doing, um, I don't know if he understood that in its entirety um, when he's standing there, but you need to hear this, and I'm going to speak it on behalf of Jesus himself, so you need to hear it like he's saying it to you, because I think this is what he's saying to Peter in a way, when he says to him, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, what he's saying is, I believe in you. Every single one of you. He's saying, I believe you can do this. And if you're tempted, because you're analytical, like me, well, great. So he thinks that about everybody. What makes me so special? <laughs> the answer to that is, yes, he does think that about everybody. But our God is infinite. So he's infinitely able to think that. And infinitely able to think it in infinitely specific ways to each one of us standing here or sitting here today. And, uh, and if... I wrote this in a song, the, uh, 
song I wrote, Is This Not the Christ, about a woman who encounters Jesus at the well. And I said, I just met a man who, um, who gave me hope when I had none because he believed in me. And I don't know how many of us grow up in households where they felt like they were, they had that kind of belief. I suspect many of us did not. But what would it feel like if you don't think of something like this, like Jesus standing before Peter and saying, I've got a long to-do list for you to do, so let's get on it so we can get it done. And it's going to be difficult because it is going to be difficult, you know. But instead you heard him saying, I believe in you. And like I said in the beginning, that to be followers of Jesus, we have to be receiving and releasing. That this is something we need to be saying to each other. And that I speak... On behalf of Jeff, on behalf of the leadership of our church, that we believe in every one of you. And God has stirred this in me this week that I could probably even tell some of you here specific things. I used to get really down on myself because uh, I don't always... uh, I kind of believe people when they say things, which makes me seem really naive sometimes. And uh, I uh, take people's word for things. and I wasted some of our church's money when we were building this church because I, <laughs> I trusted one of the contractors when he said something. Turned out there was a bill coming that I didn't know about, you know. So I can, I can get beat up on myself sometimes about that come on man don't be so stupid and you do have to kind of catch on to things and realize how the world works but um, when I think of so many people here I don't see your flaws Generally, when I think of when I think of you, I think of what God wants to do, and I get angry at the enemy for lying to you, because oftentimes I don't think that you believe it. We're not that different from Peter. You can't totally just go, well, out of 9 or 12 billion people, how many people there have ever been, this one guy, I mean, like, come on. It's like comparing us to Michael Jordan or something gets a little weird. The Holy Spirit changes those kinds of conversations to where they have no application anymore. This guy wasn't the educated. He wasn't the first. You wouldn't have picked him. You get what I'm saying? Jesus has a role for each one of us. And if I close my eyes, it's not hard for me to see it for you. 
it's often hard for me to see it for me. Um, but I think that we can be of help to each other. Put up that receiving and re- re- releasing. That I think this is part of uh, sharing our lives together is that God will give to you a word of encouragement to your brother or sister. And you need to share it. It's a prophetic word. It's God's God speaking over their lives something that, you know, they don't know. And when you think about it, text them or call them or something like that. Um, because as we grow as a church, um, we can't see ourselves as sitting on the sidelines. This gathering here is not the main thing that we do as a church. Jeff said that a hundred times. This is kind of like where we all gather together to, with one voice, worship God and kind of get a uh, maybe a, a guiding word or a pep talk or something about the ministry we're actually doing. You see what I'm saying? This isn't the the ministry. There's ministry happening here. But this is not the center of what we're supposed to be doing. The center of it's out either through gathered, organized events, like when we were cleaning up the streets, trash yesterday, or just you walking over to talk to your neighbor because God's going to give you these kinds of things for all the people that you live around. I mean, anything, you know. So I've said too much now, but I'm going to pray. And if you need to come forward in some way to symbolically stand before God and drop the nets that are holding you back, then just come do it. It's not that big a deal. No one really cares. Um, in the sense of you should be embarrassed. We do care in the sense of (laughs) the good side of that. But Father, I pray that you would free us from these nets that hold us back from serving you fully and serving you as you deserve. God, allow us to believe in ourselves the way that you believe in us and to believe in each other the way that you believe in us and not live in the lie that the enemy has put in our hearts. You are our king, Father. We are your people. We are sons of daughters of God because of your sacrifice. And Father, bring freedom from sin, freedom from um, low views of ourselves, and freedom from um, all that holds us back. And I pray... In your name, Jesus, that you would help us each to drop our nets and follow you. In Jesus' name.